Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon. This is this is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at noon to defend and to promote public education. And we have a website as well as the radio program, and that's at www.adogs.info. And we have a press release this week. Our press release six five one. The End of Public Education The Corporate Reform Agenda to Privatise Education And this is the name of a book that has recently been published in America by David Hirsch. So you may well ask, why are we talking here on 3CR about a book published in America? Well, supporters of public education in Australia are not alone in their concern that mega-rich oligarchs and religious establishments are engaged in our time, in our generation, in an all-out assault on one of our most basic democratic institutions, and that, of course, is public education. I think we have to remember, listeners, that our public schools which are one of the most important of our institutions in the democracy. They are the cornerstone of our democracy. They have done a wonderful job for this country and they are continuing to do a wonderful job for this country that they are, are and have been ever since their inception under attack. The wealthy, the powerful and the oligarchs and the plutocrats And the big religious establishments have never accepted them. And in this generation, it is no different. But the problem that is confronting this generation has been recently analysed by Dr David W. Hirsch in his recently published book, which is entitled The End of Public Education, The Corporate Reform Agenda to Privatise Education. Now, who is this David Hirsch? you may well ask. Um, He is the Professor of Teaching and Curriculum at the University of Rochester in New York. And uh, in his book, he names names and he pins tails on the donkeys. And he concludes that the reformist efforts in, in the United States, if they're not halted, will wreck our public education in the United States and also in Australia. So we can learn a great deal from him. His book is a devastating, spot-on, detailed, documented survey of the crescendoing assault on public education, teachers and teacher unions. The assault in America is funded mainly by mega-rich foundations and privatisers who are eager to reap profit from the over $600 billion that's spent annually. $600 billion is spent by the United States government on K-12 education in the United States. Now, these are big bickies. And if privatisers can persuade governments to hand that money to them so that they educate the children, there's big money in it and there's a lot of capital wandering around the world that is in search of profits at the moment. And it goes well beyond just vouchers and tax credits for sectarian private schools to public, fund, to public funding of for-profit charter schools, management companies and suppliers of services to schools. And in case you listeners are thinking that this is not relevant to Australia, I assure you it is. The charter schools of the United States are in part a 
a, a model for Mr. Pine's free academies. And there are already management companies, particularly IT management companies, that are making megabucks out of the Australian taxpayer. And of course, the disastrous VET scheme is an example of what can happen in this country once the for-profit people, as well as the religious establishments, move in to education. And the problem is, of course, that most of these people are people with little or no experience as classroom teachers. They really don't know anything about either children or education. What they know a lot about is making money out of taxpayers. Now, the respected 2014 Stanford Credo study in America found that nearly 40% of charters in, in America, that is Mr. Pine's free academies, are worse than the regular public schools, while fewer than 20% are any better. And that is due mainly to their various forms of selection of students. Now, uh, Mr. David Hirsch calls these people who are criticising our public schools pseudo-reformers. The dogs have always called them deformers. They are interested in deforming our public education. They are certainly not on about reforming anything. And the privatisers also ignore any facts that they that doesn't fit what they want. Student performance often has less to do with the efforts of teachers than the family, socioeconomic status and education level. And over two-thirds of Americans regularly give an A or B rating to the schools serving their own children according to decades of annual Gallup education polls, despite the school's acknowledged problems. But the privatisers, generally lacking actual teaching experience, seem to think that reform means turning teachers into factory assembly line drones producing widgets. The business model. Missing from the privatisers' grandiose plans are consideration of what real experienced educators know is needed to improve public education. And they know, teachers who have been on the front line know, that what is wanted is more adequate and more equitably distributed funding, smaller classes, richer curricula, wraparound social and medical services, serious efforts to alleviate poverty that affects nearly half of American children, and Australian children for that matter, an end to the diversion of public funds to sectarian private schools through vouchers and tax credits, and an end to overemphasis on unpiloted standardised tests. Now, Hirsch, who we have already mentioned uh, as being the Professor of Teaching and Curriculum at the University of Rochester, concludes that Unless the efforts of the so-called reformers and the privatisers are halted, they will wreck our public education system in the United States and send the teaching profession down the drain. Now, it's a book that's worth getting, and um, I'm going to be sending overseas for it. It's published by Routledge, and it's recently out in 2016, and it costs just under $50. Now, there's another one that I've received, but before we uh, go into talking about the other very interesting book that has recently come out and which gives a lot of information, uh, we'll have a little break. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! 
You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Now, this information was sent me by John Foster up the um, valley, up the, uh, uh, the Gippsland Valley, I believe, and I'm very grateful for it. And uh, it's about a new leader of the propaganda arm of the United States School Privatisation Lobby. And who is this new leader of the propaganda? It's a person called Campbell Brown. And a book has been written by Kaylee Holloway. And she says that perhaps guided by the old adage that you have to spend money to make money, the champions of education reform have pulled billions into the effort to privatise and profit from America's schools. And the funds are used on multiple fronts. First of all, they've launched charter schools and they've underwritten the political campaigns of politicians after all, listeners, Mr Obama sends his two children, you know those lovely girls that he brings out uh, periodically with his beautiful wife? Those girls go to charter schools. Um, now, as well as that, these uh, privatisers invest in media to propagate the free market privatisation vision. And among the most visible properties in the effort is the 74, the well-funded, power-broker-backed education news website run by the former journalist-turned-school privatisation activist Campbell Brown. It was launched last year and the site's reported $4 million annual budget comes from a collective of school school privatisation's big hitters. Listen to these. These are the faces. They're not faceless. The faces behind the privatisation movement in the United States and they are not far away in Australia. There is the Dick and Betsy DeVos Family Foundation. There's the Bloomberg Philanthropies. There's the Jonathan Sackler of OxyContin producer Purdue Pharma and the Walton Family Foundation. Now, we all know about the Waltons and Walmart. And this is not really philanthropy. This is megabucks making profits. Although you can always set up a charity, call it an education charity, and get taxation exemption. So philanthropy of this sort has an end game the privatisation of America's public schools. And the same thing, of course, is being attempted in Australia. And it's been attempted in a big way in Australia in the TAFE sector and failed miserably. Robert will be talking about this a bit later. Now, the media manipulation is an essential part of the winning strategy in the United States And we've had a great deal of it here in Australia. We've seen our taxpayers' dollars being poured by the wealthy private schools and the Catholic Education Commission into sheer propaganda in our media. Now, this Campbell Brown, who is the expert in the propaganda battle, has leveraged her long-standing image as a truth-seeking news person in service of her new brand as an earnest education reformer and she has been indispensable to the effort. As the head of the 74 website, under the guise of providing hard-hitting education news, she has led one of the key media efforts to push anti-union, pro-privatisation message of the charterisation movement, all the while keeping its billionaire backers out of the picture and off the front page. Now, the Walton Foundation has been notoriously dogged in its effort. It's run by the family behind Walmart, and I believe that they have been... um, Please correct me if you know, I think that they have something to do with the Hillary Clinton uh, campaign also. 
The foundation has already spent, now listen to this, $1 billion over the last 20 years on its education vision. And it's recently committed an additional billion to bolster charter development. Now, these are billions of dollars that they're putting in, of course, remember, are launched at a $600 billion taxation uh, honeypot because that's what they would be looking at. Now, this is all very good stuff and I'd like uh, to tell you all about it, but we only have so much time. And um, I'll be putting something about this up on our website also. But I did want to uh, tell you about it so that we can put what is happening in America and what is now happening in Australia with Birmingham and uh, Turnbull and uh, also Mr Pine and uh, less, less, more like, or less likely Morrison in charge of education policy at the moment in Canberra. These are very, very dangerous times for public education in both America and Australia. It is an essential undermining of our democracy if we cannot educate our children together in public schools. And if we divide them, well, divide and rule begins at school. So that's enough for me for the moment. Um, We'll have a bit of a break and Robert will take over. For too long, the environment has been left in the hands of politicians. We say enough with the handshaking. It's time for action. That's why the Wilderness Society is launching Movement for Life, a sophisticated new community organising program to put the power back into the hands of the people. We want you to be a part of it. We invite you to the Movement for Life launch event on Thursday, 7th of April at 6pm at the Melbourne City Bowls Club in Flagstaff Gardens. For more information and to register, go to wilderness.org.au forward slash movement for life. Be part of the movement. A 3CR supporter. Come and join Melbourne's top musicians as they show their support for human rights. The concert, Fearless Music, features political, protest and freedom songs written by the world's best fearless songwriters. Singers include Ross Wilson, Stephen Cummings, Cash Savage, Liz Stringer, Mark Seymour, Jane Clifton, Rob Snarsky, Sean Kelly and Lisa Miller. Fearless Music, Sunday May the 8th at 3pm at the Mimo Music Hall in St Kilda. Book tickets now at mimomusichall.com.au. Sponsored by Liberty Victoria, a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's good to have you company as we defend... We have to defend the public education system in Australia because it's been attacked from so many different angles these days. Things are starting to get quite worrying. In the program today, we'll be investigating what happens um, when you actually introduce a voucher system for education in Australia today. Um, In the past, in the dogs, we've been talking about what if it does come in and looking overseas to see what happens when voucher systems are brought in in places like America, which result in re-segregation and terrible educational outcomes. Um, But in Australia, by stealth, we've actually had a voucher system, Mm -hmm. and it's been going for some time in the VET, the Vocational Education and Training System. It's been around since 2009, and the results are in. It's a bloody mess. It's, It's actually quite disturbing. It's actually from the point of view of the dogs, and I think any reasonable thinking Australian, to be an absolute bloody disaster. Um, and this has all been put together um, just recently in an article by Quentin Dempster in the Sydney Morning Herald who's done some investigative work on the progress of the vocational education and training system since the Gillard years. Um, I have to say that the Labor Party were responsible for introducing a competitive voucher-based system in the vocational education and training um, processes and systems in Australia, and the results are now in. Um, it's a complete, total and utter disaster. I 
think it should be noted, Robert, that the Roman Catholic Church got into this act. Um, they closed down some very well-reputed schools in both the inner city and, I think, out in Brunswick. And they have opened um, what they call youth hubs. And I can only, um, just observing it, note that if there's money to be had, they're in on it as well. Well, when you say money, Jean, we're not talking dollars or even millions of dollars. We're talking billions. And the dollars we're talking about are my dollars, your dollars, and any taxpayers' dollars that we're talking about because the private providers, not just the Catholic Church, but in fact not not substantially the Catholic Church, but businesses have got in on this since 2009, and the results about what's happening um, are now in, which I will report on. But the saddest thing of all, of course, is that this privatising of the vocational education and training processes, the gutting, the destroying of the old TAFE system, um, is a bipartisan process. Both the Labor Party and the Liberal Party are both behind this, and so therefore it's not something that's ever debated in either our federal or state parliaments, because in fact we have this bipartisan support, which I find incredibly um, upsetting and distressing, and it raises many questions for me, and I'm sure many other thinking people, um, as to why both political parties think that privatising um, the TAFE system was a good idea. But I think now is the time to actually turn to the words of Quentin Dempster in an article he published in the Sydney Morning Herald on March the 26th this year. And he says the bipartisan catastrophe that's wasting billions of taxpayers' dollars is in fact what he calls a conflagration of taxpayers' money. He starts by saying um, this bipartisan Commonwealth strategy to privatise vocational education and training by enhancing skills through what they call a dynamic competitive market has ended with allegations of corruption and malfeasance. And worse than that, it has resulted in the de-skilling of Australians and a $3 billion of dubious VET loans part of an estimated $13 billion blowout um, in all of this money which is now completely and totally unrecoverable. It's just gone. And, it, and we'll be talking more about what, what this money did and what it didn't do and where it's gone and why we can't get it back um, from this point on. And he says, just in very simple terms, he says, because this thing is just a complete mess, he says, just watch the bastards duck for cover. He's talking about the politicians here. Now, given the nature of adversarial politics in Australia, no one will stand up to be held accountable for this. But everyone now acknowledges there is a crisis in the vocational education and training sector. Now, the new minister, that is of today, in charge of vocational education, Senator Scott Ryan, is working on reform to be announced next year. And he told the reporter, that is Quentin Dempster, that, quote, the desire of the system and the assumptions that it will behave like the university market, he thinks are profoundly flawed, and the practice has shown this. Now, the opposition leader of the moment, Bill Shorten, has promised, if elected, to, and I quote, conduct an evidence-based review of VET. Um, this is a limp response that conveniently ignores the fact that the Labor Party is responsible for unleashing the mess in the first place. In 2012, the Gillard government gulled the states and territories into defunding their TAFE systems with an offer of uncapped Commonwealth money via student loans in return for making their TAFE systems, and this is a quote, contestable. That means the TAFEs were forced to compete with private providers for federal vocational funding. Now, what we've had now, after 2012, this is four or five years later, is another example of the government's failure in design and failure in implementation, kind of like the Pink Bats program. The building the education revolution, that's the notorious school halls process, um, what they did when they privatised the job placement agencies and indeed the Collins-class submarines. But there's been no admission or confessions from Bill Shorten for Labor's destructive VET policy. Now, a thoughtless Liberal Party, who's now in power, has ideologically pushed the privatisation of vocational education, largely on the claim that state-based tastes were union-controlled monopolies, providers and and also after heavy lobbying from the private providers themselves. Now, Quentin says that he's sorry to be cynical, but the major parties are also in the market for slush funds and political donations 
from many of the private entities who have profited and been enriched by the policies that the politicians, both sides, have put forward. Now, state and federal parliamentary inquiries and the work of investigative journalists like Quinton himself um, have exposed non-compliant, get-rich-quick operators using unscrupulous enrolment practices to get students on the books, seriously damaging the reputation of and trust in VET qualifications. Now, in October last year, the scale of the problem began to open up as a joint investigation by the ACCC and the New South Wales Fair Training Department led to allegations that a private Sydney college recruited illiterate and disabled students to take out thousands of dollars in loans to fund courses they were never told they were being signed up for. Now that case, and two others like it, are underway in the federal court to recover more than $300 million in taxpayers' money. Now, Senator Ryan is departmentally cracking down on shonky operators, withholding funding, forcing closures, and sometimes this involves bitter litigation. But the regulator, who's in charge of all this? Well, that's the Australian Skills Quality Authority, the ASQA, and it's only requiring registered training organisations to name and vouch for the brokers, that is the salesmen, they employ to sign up as many students as possible rather than prohibiting the practice. Now, the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, all all the bosses, I suppose, is also now despairing at the current distortions and poor outcomes because they're not getting the people (laughs) trained well enough to come and work for them. Now, the quote from them is that once high reputation of VET has now been trashed by the behaviour of unscrupulous VET operators, and the arguable naivety of senior government bureaucrats. Um, Now, the Australian vocational education system has been turned, since Gillard's days, into a competition for students. So it is a competition, and they use slick TV, online and radio marketing, promising the transformation of people's lives. Gathering in of widgets. Now, the TAFEs have been defunded and downsized, with some TAFE colleges forced to hire out their own premises to the private providers they're competing with. Now, TAFE's market share has plummeted nationally from 74% in 2004 to 52% by 2014, and now it's, it's even less. The New South Wales government has massively increased TAFE fees and abandoned many courses deemed unsuitable for commercial business plans. Gene, that's probably why you can't necessarily do your German classes anymore, because apparently uh, doing German is not suitable for a commercial business plan. Oh, the same as Auslan? Yeah, Auslan. Yep. Arabic. Yeah, no, Auslan. Actually, I, I can tell you right now that Auslan. If if you want to learn Auslan and you're not someone who um, is deaf, mm. it is now in in Melbourne um, impossible. Well, unless you teach it to yourself. Unless you teach it to yourself. Which is kind of hard to get qualifications. It is indeed. Well, you have to, even to have a class, you have to have eight people who can pay up front anyway. Mm. Mm. Nearly $400. Oh, no, my wife started on Auslan course and it was closed down six months in because they just ran out of teachers and ran out of money. Yeah, and they, what was the reason, the sentence just before, um, something about, you know, not Commercial viability. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, if the course does not is, not, is deemed unsuitable for a commercial business plan in a, uh, in a TAFE college, um, it's earmarked for being, for being closed down. Commercial business plan. Okay. Mm. There it is. That's right. Now, according to Pat Forward um, at the Australian Education Union the federal, and also the Federal TAFE Secretary, commercialising vocational education has undermined Australia's apprenticeship system mm. and has not resolved the skills shortages. Mm. Now, the Australian Industry Group's chief executive, here we go back to the bosses, they're not happy either, wrote in a recent article in The Australian that we have never seen the training system in such a parlous state with, and I quote, much of the system captured by for-profit providers, severely diluting the pivotal um, alignment of public expenditure to economic imperative and production improvements. So even on the courses that do align with uh, uh, commercial business plans, um, they're failing in that regard as well. Has the word got out uh, to all of these students <laughs> from overseas that are paying big bucks for these courses? Yes. That they're worthless? This <laughs> is... <laughs> oh, no, Jean. They, they went away a couple of years ago. This, is, this was happening for overseas fee-paying students for many years before that. 
Mm. But now what's happened is the people who used to be making money out of overseas providers have just switched their focus to the domestic market. Mm. It's the same as the casino down there on the Yarra River. Mm. Like the casino makes its money not by bringing people to Melbourne to come and lose their money and improve the economy, whether the gambling is a good idea or not is another <laughs> question. It's actually just to take money out of the local population. Yeah. It's, it's actually, I mean, yeah, arguably the, um, the casino is a tax on stupid people. Abomination. <laughs> But that's slightly beside the point. I should, in all due respect, turn, return to Quentin Dempster's, Quentin Dempster's article rather than having too many asides. I wouldn't want our listeners to um, compare my rantings about the casino with, with the words of Quentin Dempster, who has done a great deal of research and um, I think is, is um, really putting this thing in a context. Because we've often spoken about VET and the problems, you know, anecdotally and systemically, but I think Quentin's done a very good job to give the overall perspective now, the Australian Industry Group, of course, is worried as well, as, as long with the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, along with the unions. Everyone thinks it's, what's going on is just bloody stupid. Anyway, the Australian Industry Group goes on to say that large tranches of money, courtesy of the VET, or the VET fee help, have delivered alarmingly low completion rates and seriously eroded public confidence in the whole process. At one of Australia's largest private colleges, which was Australian Careers Network, 80% of the students never completed the courses. Last week, well, as of last week, 100% of the students never completed the courses because the whole thing collapsed, leaving 15,000 students in limbo and the taxpayers with $160 million in debt at the end. But bear in mind, this whole system was set up such that if the private college enrolled a student, they got all of the money up front whether the student completed or not. So that's just money that has gone. Now, the Australian Industry Group's Chief Executive, Wilcox, also said that there were 308,000 or so apprentices and trainees in training in the mid-2015, compared to almost 400,000 a decade ago. But I think the very interesting statistic is that in 2012, when it comes to apprentices and trainees, there were about 450,000 people as apprentices. So that's 450,000. That was in 2012. It's now 2016, and there's about 300,000. So you can see there's been this big spike when the money came through, and now it's all falling off. It's actually a 30% drop in the number of people doing apprenticeships. Now, I think, Jean, this gets to the point that you made, which is, do you think the kids are working it out? Do you think the people are working out that they shouldn't be enrolling in these things because they're numpty? <laughs> it's mm. numpty education in the first place. And I think those stats, very simply, mm. point to the fact that, yeah, people aren't doing this work anymore because they're so afraid that what they get at the end isn't worth anything. Do you think that the government might be working out that they're never going to get their money back again from these students? Um, because these students have got big debts, mm. but are they ever going to make enough money to pay it back? Well, this is the question. Or is the government going to bring the... Um, well, they're talking about bringing the amount of money that a person earns right down yes, so that they back. have to pay it back anyway. Well, in all sorts of ways, that is functionally a sort of back-end, very doubtful quick fix mm. because I've got the stats here that actually speak to exactly what you're talking about. Because the idea is that someone who wants to get themselves an apprenticeship or in a trade or, or do a course at VET, they get themselves the, v, the VET fee help loan, and it's anything between twenty dollars and $40,000. That's a debt. Now, they don't pay back that debt until they've earned currently um, $54,000 per annum. Now the well, they're going to bring it the, down the to 42. Well, they're going to bring it down to 42. Currently, it's, it's, it's 54. Now, if you don't complete the course... That is, if you're one of the 80% of the people at the Sydney, at, at, at that college that's just closed in Sydney, if you're one of the, your likelihood of you earning that amount of money mm. is substantially reduced. And by 2017, the Commonwealth will actually have $13 billion worth of loans, that's money that's gone out, on its books that it does not ever expect to collect. $13 billion. This is just money that's gone from the taxpayers to the providers to provide a service which is educate a person. That person doesn't complete their education and so therefore will never pay that money back. 
We've got a lot of irresponsible ministers mm. and politicians in Canberra, I believe, of both Labor and Liberal. Well, because it's a bipartisan process, mm. you're not ever going to get a debate because Labor can't blame Liberals and the Liberals can't blame the Labor people and they can't make an election issue out of it because they're both there with their snouts in the trough yeah, in the not, first place. Neither are interested in changing it. No, they're not. And Q&A had a very interesting um, session on, on innovation and so on, and none of this came out. None of it. <laughs> oh. surprise, How on earth surprise. can you have uh, an innovation policy when you're not educating right. children? Enough of our editorialising. Back uh, to Quentin. Back, back to Quentin, indeed. In fact, we'll return to Quentin after these, um, after these messages. Express Media is proud to present issue 103 of VoiceWorks, Bang, featuring more of the best fiction, non-fiction, poetry and visual art from young Australians. This issue of VoiceWorks takes you from Ferris wheels to intimate corners of Shanghai. It misses the train to the aquarium, leaving you time to ponder family, snap judgments and what makes a tree a tree. On sale now and available from all good bookstores and online, check out our website, voiceworksmag.com.au. If you're a writer or artist under 25, send us your work, a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast. Um, digital radio is a wonderful thing. If you're listening to me on the WWWs, welcome because we're here defending government schools. Um, we're an organisation that's been doing this for decades and decades and decades because that's how long government schools have been under attack. Um, and we have to be here. Um, and 3CR allows us to be here, even though sometimes we're quite controversial in terms of what we say and the way we go about saying it. Um, if you're interested in our ideas, which I have to say are becoming less and less controversial and more and more mainstream because they made sense 30 years ago and they certainly make sense now, you can check us out at our website, which is at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Um, today on the program, we're um, investigating in detail the VET system. Uh, we're referring to a very interesting article written by Quentin Dempster on March the 26th in the Sydney Morning Herald, who goes on to say, after talking about the way the whole system's completely stuffed, he gives a little more evidence than this, and he gives us some history because this whole thing started in 2009 when the VET fee help system um, was given to students undertaking diplomas, advanced diplomas, graduate certificates and graduate diploma courses um, to an approved, inverted commas, VET provider. Then in 2012, under the Giller Government's National Agreement for Skills and Workplace Development, a competitive, and here's the word, voucher system a competitive voucher system for vocational education was introduced. By 2013, there were 5,000 approved VET providers who could get their hands on these vouchers. Some vocational training outfits started small but only took off with the cash flow rocket fuel of the VET help money. Many applicants, these other providers, had no prior experience in vocational education, in fact, many of them were accredited in the first place with just an accountant's supportive letterhead, validation of a submitted course, staffing a business plan, cash flow projections, has actually raised claims of regulatory capture by vested interests. Like the $2 cowboy companies exposed in the recent New South Wales ICAC findings about the gaming of the coal exploration licences, accreditation and accreditation to be a provider seems, in retrospect, to be the first implementation downfall. Now, Chris Robinson, the Chief Commissioner of the people who are supposed to be regulating these private providers, rejects uh, the regulatory capture criticism. He says his organisation has regulated the sector as an independent statutory authority with enforcement powers since its foundation in 2011. And, and their organisation has actually deregistered about 400 of, these, of this mob through its risk and compliance audits. He says it moves on student complaints and tip-offs from the industry. Although some deregistered entries can redeem themselves and be allowed back in and often dispute um, the regular, regulatory authorities' audits in the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, 10% have been forced out, reducing current numbers from 5,000 down to 4,600. Now He says some low-risk specialised small operators became very large very fast. 
Now, when Quentin Dempster asked Mr Robinson, the Chief Commissioner of the Regulatory Authority, he said, The contestable market is a big question, obviously. The fact that we've had to take a decision to deregister 10% of all the training providers and that the regulatory authority regulates um, since we started four and a half years ago is some indication that some training providers have behaved badly in the market. But, he says, that doesn't mean the VET market is inherently wrong or that it's not a good idea. He says it does actually have some benefits. But, he goes on to say, we certainly need to ensure that various providers are eliminated from the market. Now, this CEO of the regulatory authority believes that they, he has the power currently to clean up the Shonky operators and, and ensure a qualification guarantees a graduate competence in designated skill. But he believes there is need to specify quality parameters in training packages so that the private provider's delivery delivers better quality training. He points out that his authority is not responsible for the money. So he's walked away from that. He's only responsible for delivery. He's not responsible for who gets the money or whatever. Now, although the student loan scheme accepts a degree of unrecoverable debt, the number of VET help-assisted students is expected to triple by 2017, along with the unrecoverable debt. Now, these loans have grown rapidly from 2009, rising to 12% of all income contingent loan payments to providers by 2013. Now, the Grattan report found that people who did not achieve a VET qualification were 50% less likely than the higher education graduates to repay their debt, not surprisingly. Although sort of they were only part-time work and consequently lower incomes, um, they would never reach the repayment threshold. That's the $13 billion that's just gone away. Added to the implementation dysfunction is the dropout or non-completion rates currently reported this is the dropout and non-completion rates currently put, reported at, I have a guess, 79%. 79% of the people who start these courses get these debts, have these loans, the money's gone to the VET providers, 79% of them do not complete their courses. Now... The courses, including rapid growth of online education, once offered by TAFE colleges around the country for a regulated, more affordable few thousand dollars, are now turbocharged by the deregulation of fees. Examples? Well, the Advanced Diploma of Contemporary Screen Acting, an online course, $44,000. Graphic Design and Website Development, an online course, $45,000. Project Management? Online course, $42,000. International business course, all online, $43,000. So you've got to have a reasonably lucrative career in order to be able to afford to do the course to get yourself a reasonably lucrative career. Well, bear in mind that, for instance, if you want to do a course in a graphic design and website development, $45,000, <laughs> you, the student, take out a loan for that. <laughs> The government pays the provider. Taxpayers pay for you to do that course, and you're supposed to pay it back when you complete the course. But bear in mind, only one in five people around Australia are completing the courses. The money has gone. If you don't complete the course, do you still have to pay back the money? Yes. Yes. 100% yes, you do. (laughs) The money is there. You still have to pay back the money if you earn more than $54,000 currently, probably down to $42,000. phantom cash they're relying on. Oh, yeah, no, it's a debt. It's on your head. Oh, yeah, no, you personally are liable. And now they're talking about recovering it from you after you're dead. Ah, ah. After you die. They can come into your estate and say, I'll have that, thank you. That's a debt you accrued all those years ago. So, and, and it, does it follow then that if your estate doesn't have enough, your family members then get harassed? Yeah. Oh, That's how it goes? Well, you're dead, so, yeah. So, yeah, so if your estate doesn't have enough to cover the debt, is that death then passed on? Um, I actually don't know. This is what is being proposed by yeah. the federal government at the moment. This is, this is the proposal that student loans can be recoverable from estates upon the death of the person wow. that accrued them. Now, there is, there is a limitation, by the way. There is a limitation for each individual. At the moment, there is a constraint, um, which is around about $100,000 lifetime limit on borrowings for educational processes for an individual. <laughs> So there's a, a cap. Now, this is a demand-driven system. 
It's a demand-driven voucher system. Now comes with seductive sales pitches of no upfront fees or loan brokers offering free iPads, computers, or in some cases, overseas trips. The take-up has seen profit levels now estimated at 30 cents in every taxpayer's dollar, according to Workplace Research Centre at the University of Sydney. More than 75% of the $1.6 billion spent through the loan scheme in 2014 has been soaked up by the private sector. In the process, the cost burden of skilling, reskilling and upskilling to sustain taxable livelihoods in a rapidly changing job market is being transferred to the already lower paid shoulders of the student who may or may not, well it's not even may or may not, if your completion rate's 21%, you've got a lot more may nots than you have mays. Now, as I said before, there's a proposal to extract repayments from deceased estates of all student loan defaulters, perhaps akin to the practice known by morgues in years gone by as ratting. And there's the competency and quality assurance problem of this whole voucher system as well. Last year, more than 9,500 students were forced to hand back their certificates by the Victorian regulators with another 3,000 qualifications under investigation. That is, you do complete the course, (laughs) but having done an audit of the course, the regulator says, your course was rubbish, it doesn't count. And that happened to 9,500 students in Victoria alone last year. You've still got the debt. You've still got the debt. So what's the solution? Well, I'll tell you what the AU says. The AU wants an immediate cap of 30% on taxpayer funding made available to private providers, with 70% allocated directly to TAFE to help restore the sector's ethical reputation for integrity. I think it should be 100%. Subcontractors and third-party brokers should be banned. No salespeople. Oh, look, I absolutely agree. There is no need to have a private provision. Spivs. Yeah, yeah. Dodgy brothers. We don't need them. It's education. The Australian Industry Group's Innes Wilcox wants to bust the state-based systems with a national industry-directed apprenticeship system with less reliance on market-based training. Even the bosses want it to change. So the unions and the bosses are both saying that, the, that this whole system's just stuffed. This is a scam. It's like a Ponzi scheme. And if this was it's done, and it has been done, to people who've put up their money, uh, their, their superannuation and so on, uh, these people have been dragged to the courts and they have been bankrupted. Um, what's going on here? Is there one rule for the uh, grey-haired people who've got money uh, and lose it and another for the children? who haven't got money and who are given a debt by these people. So we have people talking about the primary and secondary education systems in Australia today saying, oh, we've got to have a voucher system. Voucher system's fair. Everyone gets choice. You get the money, you can send your kid wherever you want. Well, I'll tell you how a voucher system works. We can see how a voucher system works because that's what they did with VET and it's stuffed. Quentin Dempster, and I will paraphrase him, concludes to say that this is not going to be an election issue because it is in the interest of neither party, neither party to talk about this because they are both into it. Why are they both into it? Well, he hints, and he says quite, quite that, that the lobby groups who fund the political parties, who uh, represent the private providers, who are giving money to the politicians, it's in none of their interest to even talk about it. But I can tell you, and, and, and after the break, I will be telling you directly and showing you that for the first time in Australia, for the first time, this generation will be less well-educated than the one that came before. This generation of Australians and generations to come will be less skilled, will be less well-educated, will be less able to deal with critical thinking, will be less, less, oh, how can I say, it? less well-educated? I mean, Less armed with the tools with which to navigate this society. Well, not just society, the world well, in the 21st yeah. century. No, you're absolutely right, Dom. Um, but we'll come to that after these messages. Shirley Hood debuts at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in her new show, Rock the Boat. Clever, cheeky, charming and challenging, Shirley is Australia's number one Aboriginal female comedian. Ring that bell, sound that siren, tap those sticks and get ready to laugh out loud. Shirley Hood in Rock the Boat. Visit the Comedy Festival website for details, comedyfestival.com.au, a 3CR supporter. Rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat. 
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's good to have your company. Um, we've been discussing how the VATA system works in Australia because that's what the vocational education and training processes are run by currently in Australia and what a complete stuff-up it is. But I mentioned quite sadly that here in Australia our current generation is on track to be less well-educated than the generation before because of what we're doing and how we're dealing with and how we're funding and how we're organising our education system in Australia. And it's got so bad that it's not just local politics anymore. Um, The OECD has noticed What's happened in Australia over the last 15 years has actually spiked the interest and, in fact, condemnation of, um, what's of, of the OECD itself. Because in a typical Australian classroom, the gap between achievement of students at the top of the class and those at the bottom of the class is now more than seven years. Computer skills are lagging behind decade-old benchmarks and few Australian pupils are taking maths than ever before. So steep is the national education slide and decline become that Australia was singled out for its declining performance on the world stage in Dubai um, a week and a half ago. And this is what was said. Um, The decline is significant in Australia this round, and I think it's really something you have to think about. And this was said by Andreas um, Schleicher, the Education Chief of the Organisation of Economic Cooperation and Development, that is the OECD, who is widely regarded as the most influential education figure on the planet at the moment. Now, between debates with Tony Blair and messages from the Pope at the Global Education and Skills Forum in Dubai, um, this gentleman slammed Australia over its declining results in the International Student, or the PISA, studies, before most of the recent PISA sets of results are due to be released later this year. Where once at the beginning of the, of the 21st century, Australia kept up with South Korea, now our East Asian neighbours are streaking ahead on tests that compare the academic ability of 15-year-olds around the world. Students from Poland and Vietnam are now outperforming Australian teenagers. If our results were to match the South Korea's by the end of the century, the Australian economy would be $4.7 trillion better off, said the OECD. This week, a new report from the Grattan Institute gave Australian educators plenty more to think about. Amid declining standards in the global context, Australia's own domestic assessment system was actually found to be wanting. Now, this is actually, I'm quoting here from an article again in the Sydney Morning Herald by Alexandra Smith and Eric Bagshaw, who have put all this information together, and I think it's useful. Um, Peter Goss from the Grattan uh, Grattan Institute said, we've got to do better. Australia must raise its sights. The bar we are setting, according to him, uh, with the NAFLAM minimum standards is just too low. If we set the bar too low, it's very hard to aim high. Now, the warning signs for this decline have been around for about 10 years. Australian PISA results have been on the slide since 2003, and NAPLAN tests have shown the writing ability of Australia's students has not actually improved since 2008. All the while... Computer literacy of the national students has reached, in fact, a crisis point. The 2015 results show that in an area crucial to the nation's future prosperity, a little bit over half of the students tested by the Australian Curriculum Assessment Reporting Authority were considered to be IT proficient. Now, this is about the computer stuff, okay? This is 15-year-olds in computers. About half of them are any good at it. The other half are not proficient at information technology. As our literary and computer schools have declined, so too have the nation's mathematics ability, drawing outcry from academics and the business community. Now, the chair of the National Committee for Mathematical Sciences, Nani Joshi, said the compulsory mathematical subjects absolutely now have to become a national policy. She says we are leeching out the mathematical skills from the majority of the population. She says, we're not just talking about university entry anymore. It's worse than that. We're talking about a larger proportion of the population who would find it difficult to work out something that isn't plugged into a calculator. She's talking about apprentices are becoming bricklayers who don't know how many bricks to order and students who are becoming nurses who are actually actually cognitively unable to work out dosage levels because they do not have the mathematical skills. 
Now, the OEC identified a lack of investment in Australia's teachers as the central reason for the lacklustre results. I would actually disagree with him here. Because if I go back to the beginning of the article, it started off with saying the difference between the highest and the lowest achieving students in Australia is seven years. Seven years between the highest and the lowest. Now, I'm sure if you have a bifurcated, apartheid education system, as we do here in Australia, if you've got the money and your child goes to a well-funded private school, then you're just fine. You'll be up there in the ones and the twos and the threes. I wouldn't bet on that. I wish you wouldn't bet on that either. But I'm saying you can say that you spent the money on something and off you can go because in Australia, more than, more than almost every other developed nation, your educational ability is tied to the income of your parents. If you are poor in Australia, you do not actually have a fair go. That's what it's come to. Now, teacher quality, um, this particular fellow from the OECD believes, is the heart of every successful education system, and I would say that it is, in fact, fundamental to it. From Finland to South Korea, and um, and Australia must do something about it to have any hope of thriving in the global economy. He says, What I like to imagine is a profession that's not just defined by delivering an established curriculum, but people who see themselves as owners of a professional standard. People who learn from and with their colleagues, where there's a greater degree of professional collaboration and professional autonomy. He says, The education industry is about 150 years behind health in its capacity for collaboration and development. Key aspects have seen doctors rise to the top of the social and professional ladder, whereas teachers, particularly in Australia, but not in other countries, have um, a lower social standing. He says, well, we're still very far far away. In Finland, by the way, they're doing well. They don't even do tests. Every teacher has to do a master's thesis in Finland to create a professional inquisitive mindset. And also, by the way, they do work collaboratively. And also, by the way, children don't don't even start going to school until they're seven in Finland. There's and no also, by the way, they don't have all the, all the private schools that they fund in Finland. Isn't it illegal to charge for education in Something Finland? Like that. Yes, it oh, is indeed. Yep. And he says, because we have this whole idea about, you know, we're, we're kind of better than the Asians because we're more creative and, and they kind of work too hard. And Not- Lee Kwan, you said that we were just going to become the poor white trash of Asia, didn't he? <laughs> he was an arrogant bloke, but still. But you know what? That's all changed. People sort of talk about this is and the that's is, but in Shanghai at the moment, teachers spend one lesson a week in someone else's classroom working on collective lesson planning, design and evaluation wow. because they've got the time to do that because they're not, you know, got their periods up to the max. They're not overworked. They're actually given the time for professional development and collaborative learning every week in Shanghai. Does that happen in Australia? Oh, no, that's inefficient. Oh, no, no. Craziness. And I get back to the original thought, which was a very sad one, which is we are now, because of the way we're funding education and the way we're treating our teachers and the way we're dealing with the system as some crazy sort of, I don't know, theological marketplace, um, combining religion and, and free market policies to create a bifurcated system in Australia, we are in the process of creating a generation of Australians who are less well-educated than the one that came before. That is the opposite of progress, and I would say bloody dangerous. The amazing thing is that under all of these stresses, our public schools are, in fact, doing as good a job as they are. And we are our public schools are absolutely extraordinary. They get beaten at from all sides, but you know what? They are the bulwarks. They are what we have left. If we don't support them and we don't build on them, we've got nothing. Because the private school system is not interested in educating the children of Australia. No. They're interested in, in, in attracting through marketing. Have you been to Melbourne Airport lately? <laughs> there are ads for private schools all up and down every single terminal wow. building saying, send your child to Harlebury, send your child to Ivanhoe. We're good. We've got values. That's taxpayers' money. That's taxpayers' money being spent on those ads at Melbourne Airport. I find it quite disturbing. Anyway, I'm going off on a rant. We can't, we don't have time, we've come to the end of our program, which is in fact the defence of government schools. We've had Dale, myself and Jean telling you things you won't hear on other radio stations, just on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. If you are interested in what I or Jean or Dale have had to say today, please feel free to investigate us. Feel, feel free to go through and pick us apart at our website at www.adogs.info. 
That's www.adogs.info. But until then, and until next week indeed, it's bye for now. Says killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe. Says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe. I didn't die. Says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes. Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill Says he.